It's taper time for the Fed. Or is it? Or do we even care? You're in the right place, folks, because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show. It is Wednesday. I am Matt Kopenheffer, and right here next to me is David Hansen, the proud owner now of a brand new toaster. Yes. I told you that I would get you a toaster, and I came through. Don't us- I don't usually come through. But you came one. through big. The toaster is at my desk. It's just waiting to get home to get some toast in there. Just now, some plain toast. No toaster oven. No, look, here's the, the, to- the toaster was great. The to- I'm very happy about the toaster. I'm happy you're going to have toast at home now. But here's a more important thing. Yesterday on the show, I said that I was sure that there are female listeners mm-hmm. to this show and, and that they should email us and let us know. Last time I did this, I was so right on with the college students listening. There are lots of you college are. students listening. You just said before the show, I don't think we have any female listeners. I still think that's wrong, and I still think our female listeners should drop us an email, WTMI at fool.com. Let us know that they're listening, and let us know their questions. Uh, we don't, we're, uh, we're, we're equal access. We're, that's what we do. Yes, we want it, we're inclusive on this show. Yes. So on, on that note, we've got a great show today. We're going to be talking bank branches today. We've got our, our ranking game where we're going to go through some of our favorites. But first, of course, the headlines. First headline we've got is from Reuters. It's a Fed faces tough call on bond buying as economy strengthens. David, I know you've been you've been waiting all month to talk about the Fed, talk about this meeting. Of course, by the time a lot of people are listening to this show, the Fed's decision will be out. This is before the decision. And the question, of course, will they taper? Will they? I do not know. <laughs> yeah, by the time this is out. We've already had, I guess this is Bernanke's last televised speech after the two-day meetings. Is that right? I'm going to try not to cry. That's, that's really I what hate, I'm more I sad about. I'm really going to miss the beard. The beard is so good. He does have a good beard. Janet Yellen will not when have I, that beard. Which when I tried so to grow one, it was, not, it was not quite a Bernanke beard. Not as good. Um, but yeah, we're going to get to a mailbag question later that's talking about what should I do around the taper. And I think I'm going to stick with what I've been saying is that I don't really care. It doesn't matter to me. In the long term, over 20 years, what's going to happen this afternoon? I'm a long-term investor. I don't care. I'd say short-term for the stock market, it does matter. Just from the perspective that we know that when the taper is announced, there's going to be some... I don't even know which way the volatility is going to be. I don't know whether the market is going to uh, do its whole uh, sell the rumor, buy the news thing, and that when the Fed finally announces the taper, it'll be supposedly good news and the market will go up, or it'll go down... But short term, it will have an impact on the market. Longer term, bigger picture for the real economy and for businesses, I can't help but see this as anything, when, when the taper's announced, as anything but good news. Because when the Fed starts to taper back its bond buying, its bond purchases, it's, a, it's the Fed essentially saying we are more confident in the economy. We think the economy is chugging along on its own and we don't need to continue to do this. So short term, potentially bad potentially good for the stock market. We don't know. Longer term, I think, it's, I think it's good for the economy. I agree. There's reasons to be optimistic. I mean, everyone's so pessimistic all the time. There's Europe's improving. We're seeing... Not you. Get, you're a bright and shiny I'm very guy. bright and shiny. I mean, we look at the advancements in technology, whether you believe in 3D printing or not. There's a lot of cool stuff going on. There's reasons to be optimistic about the next 20 years. So stop being so sad all the time. I believe. I believe. All right. Next second time. headline from the Wall Street Journal. New mortgages to get pricier next year. And this is talking about increases in Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac fees. Yesterday we talked about 
how the FHFA is floating around the idea of maybe reducing the conforming loan limits from 417000 down to 400000 This is the two entities raising fees. That's going to happen. Um, and the leaders of those two companies say this isn't to cover potential losses of mortgages going bad. This is to encourage more private capital to come into the market so we can reduce the footprint of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which is consistent with what we've heard from the president, multiple members of Congress. They want to reduce the size of Fannie and Freddie. So there may be some backlash from the home builders, from real estate agents out there. But as of right now, it looks like mortgages may be pricier in the next year. We can't say definite what's going to happen with interest rates. We don't know. Uh, But if interest rates continue to move up and we have these raising fees, it will be more expensive to get a mortgage. I think that there's definitely going to be some backlash here. I mean, part of the thing is that Fannie and Freddie have been kept around ostensibly to help increase access to mortgages. And essentially what this is doing is saying that let's say, less advantaged people, those with lower credit scores, those who can't put down a full 20% down payment are now going to have to pay higher fees. So we're going to, there's going to be a, a little bit of a firestorm over this. I don't know how big it's going to be, but people are going to say that, uh, that Fannie and Freddie are not living up to their mission, particularly under government ownership, if this is the direction that they're going. On the other hand, when we think back to the financial crisis that we just went through, the idea that, uh, that, that for, for insuring and backing mortgages that don't have a substantial down payment and that are for folks with low credit scores, th- it just plain makes sense. Mm-hmm. So from a logical perspective, I have a hard time arguing with this. And then if we take it a step further, like you said, uh, this is sort of along the same lines of continuing to wind down Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, uh, continuing to maybe encourage private capital to come in mm-hmm. uh, to the extent that private capital wants to compete with Fannie and Freddie there, maybe have fees that aren't quite as high yes. as theirs are. Um, but, for, but for shareholders of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, again, with the, those common shares, this seems to continue mm-hmm. that, that course, uh, that, that winding down course, uh, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, what happens with that, because I know there are some people that are still very confident on that. Interesting that this happens right before Mel Watt has come in, who has kind of championed his career around, around making housing affordable. So it's interesting if he'll maybe scale some of these measures right. back. That'll exactly. be the wild card. And I think in that article they, they said uh, Representative Watt couldn't be reached for comment on this story. So it was maybe un- some interesting they said stuff. It was unclear whether he had anything to right. do or, or put an input on that. Um, I would guess probably not. Yes. All right. Third headline, we're going to Business Insider, and the headline is Crash. Bitcoin collapses after major blow from China. It collapsed for the people who bought it at $1,200 of Bitcoin. It's It's now down to $600. Sad story. (laughs) Very sad story. It was, wasn't it, it was, uh, yeah, below Below six hundred, below yes. seven. It was below six hundred. Mm-hmm. It was around five hundred and thirty dollars this morning. It's moving all around, and this still has to do with what we talked about yesterday. News coming out of China. China's biggest exchange was forced to stop accepting deposits in Chinese currency. So I, I can't see how this is that surprising. It's not that, and that China is that China is cracking down on an alternative currency. Right, and that was one of the people that are big Bitcoin supporters. Is that. This will be a good thing in countries that have pretty tight currency rules, whether it's a, a country like Cyprus, like China. This will be an alternative. And now 
This is highlighting. <laughs> I don't see this how, is highlighting the hurdle. Good news. No, no, I'm saying this is this is bad news. This is kind oh, sure. of one of the okay. things that points out it's not going to be that easy just for people to gotcha. say I'm done with the Chinese currency. I'm moving over to Bitcoin. Right. Exactly. There's a lot of hurdles in that uh, that way there. So I think this just points to that this is m- potentially more successful as a payments method rather than a currency that we're all holding and getting our paychecks. It's, it is definitely not a currency. It is. I, I mean, still maybe someday. It could be a form of currency, but right now it is not a currency. Mm-hmm. And to watch it fall, it's, it's fallen like 50%. Talk about, that's like Zimbabwean inflation mm-hmm. right there. So what you could buy with a Bitcoin uh, a couple days ago is nowhere near what you could buy with a Bitcoin today. I mean, if you're thinking of Bitcoin in terms of a currency, you are suddenly feeling very poor right now. I still like the infrastructure of the payments, though. I'm not interested in the currency or buying any, but I think it's interesting that you can do transactions with less fees than a Visa and MasterCard. I still think that's very interesting. Whether it's Bitcoin or another iteration of a digital currency, I still think it's interesting. Doggy coin? Doggy coin. That's what I'm developing. Is that... No, no, no. That's actually... I, I, don't, even, I, I don't know if I'm saying it correctly, but it's D-O-G-E coin. It's possible. There's all it's kind of coins. I, I still think it's so possible. There are all kind of coins. Not, as, not so much the, from the currency angle, but I think it's interesting... From the payments angle. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, moving on to our focus today, we're talking about bank branches here. We're talking about bank branches, and there's an article that you uh, <coughs> spotted on American Banker mm-hmm. that talks about the the move to trim down bank branches and whether this is going to be, or this art, uh, this author's contention that this will be a continued move to kind of eliminate the bank branch as we know it. Yes. Um, do you think, is this a good thing? Is this a good thing for, let, let's think about it this way, is this a good thing for the, the banks themselves, for their customers, and then for investors? I think it is a good thing. When you, when you say, is it a good thing for customers, I think the customers are going to be the one that dictate what the banks do. It's going to be customer behavior. You'd that- hope. But companies don't always function like that. I think broader, broader level, though I'm sure there will be some companies that make some mistakes, but broader customer behavior is going to dictate what banks do. If people are depositing more stuff on their phone, then they're not going to go into the branches and, and companies are going to adjust to that. And the article is saying, is this finally the point where banks say, let's close branches? We've been talking about it for decades now. Maybe we don't need as much. Is now the time that we actually do it? And they highlight PNC as the one bank that is actually doing this. Everyone's talking about it. Wells Fargo saying, eh, maybe we reduce the count uh, a little bit. PNC saying, we're going to focus on our mobile strategy, technology. Let's close branches. And maybe I'm biased. I'm a PNC shareholder. But I, I, I agree with Bill Demchek. I think that's the right move. I think it is the future that you have to invest in the technology. It doesn't make sense to have these sprawling branch networks. So I think it is the right time. And banks are just now realizing that it maybe doesn't make sense. Uh, the type of people that you're servicing in a branch aren't always the most profitable. Although for, for PNC, it's, it's about closing branches, but it's also about converting Modifying, them as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I think they were saying that they were going to take two-thirds of, they were looking to convert two-thirds of the branch network into a smaller footprint type of storefront uh, that's much more automated, um, 
much uh, much less costly, right. and, and maybe serves customers better. Well, hopefully, serves customers better. You know, I, I think we we're seeing banks like Bank of Bank of the Internet, and we talk a lot about a Bank of the Internet here um, because it's a it's a full favorite. It's been a great stock. It's an interesting company. I don't know how much the big bank chiefs are, are necessarily looking at Bank of the Internet and saying, oh, wow, this is a, this is a model that's really going to kill us because they're already doing mobile, mobile banking. Mm-hmm. Now, the extent to which the, the, the low-cost infrastructure there may be hitting their radar and saying, hey, look at this little guy here growing very fast with just an amazing efficiency ratio because of the low-cost structure, and maybe that could be pushing it on. Um, but we've been seeing the impact that technology can have um, not only on the ability to service customers where they are, so that's, that's that mobile deposit, that's just the mobile banking in general, but also in terms of becoming more profitable and being able to, uh, to return uh, money to shareholders better. Now, what I think is interesting to think about here is that this move could potentially create competitive advantage for the companies that are doing it first, mm-hmm. that, that are doing it first and are doing it better. So you mentioned PNC. I think that's a good example of a bank that maybe will create competitive advantage by beating everybody else to the punch, and customers will see that it's easier to bank with PNC. Mm-hmm. It doesn't guarantee. I mean, there's also the possibility that they don't do it in a way that serves customers well, and it could create a competitive disadvantage. But I think the, the banks that do it first potentially create a, a competitive advantage to that. I think there's also the opportunity for banks that don't do it and go the opposite direction to create competitive advantage in the meantime by saying, we still have branches, we still have people that you can work with, uh, so, so come, to, come bank with us because we're not moving away from that. Huntington Bank Shares is sort of a bank that I would think of that jumps out as having a potential competitive advantage there, but in sort of a creative way because they've been, their branch network, their uh, banking centers, they've been partnering with like uh, grocery stores right. to have smaller, mm-hmm. uh, smaller footprint stores there. And so PNC does that to some extent as well. So it's, it's kind of a modified thing, but I think that there is the potential for banks to have competitive advantage for not moving in this direction. What I think is troublesome, where some banks are going to find trouble, is where they don't make the move definitively in one direction or the other, and they're kind of caught in the middle. Mm -hmm. And I hate to say it because I am a shareholder, but I think there could be the risk that like a Bank of America gets caught in sort of this middle ground where they are trimming branches, and they do have good mobile banking and and, uh, good mobile deposits and that sort of thing. But I don't know that they've kind of decided where they want to fall in this uh, in, in this movement, they I mean I, I think that's true to some extent. They are reducing branches, though. If right. you look at their branch count compared to the but are they doing it, it been... aggressively to really change the business, or are they or, or are they mainly saying these branches aren't necessary for our branch network? It's I think there's a difference there. Probably a little bit of co- a combination there, and I think you make a good point in terms of PNC doesn't want to close them all; they want to revamp them because we think about banks other than interest expense. What's the most expensive part of their business? It's people, and having all these people in a branch network only serving dozens of people a day doesn't make a lot of sense. So Not that I support people rights. losing their jobs. I, no, I no, should no. point that out. I should definitely point that out. It's 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 no bueno when people are um, getting laid off because of this. But in the bigger picture, if this is the direction that the business is going, this creates could create stronger companies that, in the end, will be larger and be able to employ more people. As a as a cold hearted capitalist shareholder, though, you want 
that money to go to go to you if you are the shareholder of the company there. And I think banks are realizing all of this data they have just now in, in the last couple years. They're saying, "Wow, we have a lot of data on people, whether it's on mobile now, online banking, the way they transact in the branches, and we've been pretty inefficient how we're doing that." So I think the more data they get, they will get right size. I think banks will look a lot leaner in the next five to ten years. All right, let's go to our mailbag. We have an email address. That email address is WTMI at fool.com. We love getting questions. We love getting comments. David, what is our email for today? Our email is, is this the right time to buy J.P. Morgan and Bank of America, or should I wait until the Fed begins tapering and stock prices fall? That is a question from Pratham. I hope I'm saying that right. Pratham. Pratham. That's what I would guess. Are you waiting for the taper to buy all bank stocks? No, no, is the simple answer. The problem is, is that when the taper happens, I don't, I'm not convinced. I I don't feel like I know that stock prices are going to fall for sure. Maybe they will. That's, but that seems to be, that is the widely held narrative of what happens when the Fed begins to taper. The problem with that is, is that when it's the highly held, the widely held narrative, People are going to tend to sell before it happens. They don't want to wait until it happens and then say, well, if I think this is going to happen, all my stocks are going to fall, I'm going to sell ahead of time. So what we could end up seeing is that the Fed will begin to taper, and to everybody's surprise, stocks will go up. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that will happen, but I'm saying it's, it's a coin flip. What will happen, what stocks will do immediately after the Fed begins to taper. Uh, in terms of the right time to buy Bank of America... Uh, to pick that that one out specifically, I think it's a pretty good time. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't say that Bank of America is no longer my very favorite bank among the big banks. But I think that there's a lot of opportunity for Bank of America. I think there's a lot of opportunity that stems from the fact that there's a lot of cost that's still going to come out of the model there over the next few years. I don't, I don't think a lot of people are pricing that in. I don't think a lot of people see that. What they see are the low returns from today and they project that out, and they put that into the value, and they say, well, this is a reasonable valuation for Bank of America because of the low returns. Yep, I agree. I don't think that's going to persist. I agree you're talking about in this hypothetical model of what the bank model is going to look like over the next five years, taking costs out. In my process, if I'm, if I'm thinking about it, and I'm trying to model out what Bank of Are America looks like. Are you a shareholder like, yet? I'm not. Okay. Um, if I'm trying to look at what it looks like, the Fed taper decision is not anywhere in my model. No. Because like you said, that's not something I can quantify with any probability about what's going to happen to the bank, to the overall market. I don't care. I want to look at what's the valuation today. What do I think the business is going to do? So I don't think you should consider it at all. It doesn't mean it's a glaring Big buy. Picture, I, think it's, I think it's actually good news. Right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the change that will happen in the interest rate environment when the Fed tapers, I think that's good for the banks. In theory, yes. In theory. Never works out. What will, what will it take for you to buy Bank of America? TBA. I'll let you know. Come back on a further show. <laughs> All righty. Continued. All right. Let's move on to the game for today. The game for today is Rank It. Uh, this is where we take a collection of stocks or ideas and we rank them. Yes. One to five usually. Today we're doing sort of an all-stars edition. We've ranked a bunch of the subsectors of the financial industry. I've gone back through collected some of our favorites, and we're going to be ranking. I will read them not in order, not in any particular order. Uh, Discover Financial, Wells Fargo, Goldman Sachs, Annaly Capital, and Markel. 
David, why don't you start us off with your rankings? Longtime listeners will not be surprised by my number one there. Going with Markel, and we've had some comments from listeners and viewers saying, why, are you, why do you guys like Markel so much? It hasn't beaten the market by that much over the last couple years. I don't really know where the company's going. If you're a shareholder in this company for over 20 years, and it only beats the S&P by a couple percentage points a year, it doesn't sound like a lot. But that's a big difference if I'm holding this company for 20 years. And I think the probability of their insurance underwriting and the investments, the probability is very good that they beat the S&P on a consistent basis. Even if it's only a couple percentage points, that's going to make me a long-term winner. So Markel is my number one. What's your number one? My number one is, I think we got my rankings up here too. My number one is uh, Markel as well. Um, I agree with you. Uh, a couple of percentage points over a long period of time makes a big difference. I think what's, what's key to remember is that when it comes to insurance companies and financial service companies in particular, we're not going to see the same kind of, of giant gains that we might see in other sectors. So if we think about a Google mm-hmm. or something like that, uh, I don't think it's, it's reasonable to expect that we'll see that from like a Markel, but it's a safe well-run company with a great strategy, very dedicated to its shareholders, um, and I think just a great one to, to own. Uh, my number two, speaking of companies that are great to own Goldman Sachs, uh, <laughs> I'm kind of joking a little bit with that. Um, Goldman, it's, it's been questionable over the years whether it's, a good, whether it's good to be a shareholder of an com- investment bank like Goldman Sachs because they are so dedicated to the insiders. They are, there is so much pay that goes to the folks at the top, the folks that are doing the trading, the folks that are doing the investment banking in there. However, Goldman has proven time and time again that it is a great business, it attracts great people, um, and it's able to pro- uh, profit through many different market cycles. I think the concerns over whether Goldman can make good returns with the new Volcker rule in place, with new regulations in place, I think they're way overblown. This is a company that's going to figure out ways to make money for their shareholders. It's going to be fine. I think they're going to be around for the next... 50, 100 years, just like they have been. So my number three was uh, Discover Financial. You had that as number five. Why all the way at the bottom of your list? Um, I, I have a clearer idea of what Wells Fargo and Annalie are trying to do. Uh, I can sympathize with someone who, who likes Discover. I don't dislike them, but I'm not 100% on board with kind of their market position. They're, if we think about networks, they're not the big guys. They're not Visa and MasterCard. And we think about credit cards maybe they don't have the best operations. Just not a company that I get super excited about. I think it's a strong company, but just my number five here. You like it, just not as much. Yes. I had Wells Fargo number four. You had it as number three. I, I potentially, these are, these are good companies. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could have flip-flopped that potentially with Discover. Uh, Wells Fargo has done just so well over time. And one of the things that I've been talking with one of our other writers about recently, John Maxfield, is about the idea that what creates a lot of value in for banking investors are banks that don't lose when the worst happens. When you go through the big storms, when, when they don't lose big during those big storms, Wells Fargo is one of those banks. Yes, it was. And Annalie? Annalie was my number, my number four. It's my number five. Okay. Let's go to the tweets. <laughs> All right, let's finish off in the Twitter sphere. Give us the first tweet, David. First tweet is from our friend Crowd Turtle. He says, if Friend of the show, Crowd Turtle. If investing were all about math, professors would be billionaires. True story. 
Yes. True story. This is, this is actually something really interesting for me because I started out my investing career and I spent time in investment banking and private equity where models and math are very important, um, or at least they lean on that a lot. So I started out my investing career leaning a lot on math, leaning a lot on models and formulas, but I've learned over time just how important strategy and people are. Um, and, and there's a lot to be said, particularly in the age of high-frequency trading, computer trading, all of that, to be focused on uh, issues that can't easily be picked up by a, by a computer algorithm. We just talked about Goldman Sachs. One of the reasons I like the company is the management. Go on YouTube, search wherever, find a video of Lloyd Blankfein talking for, for 30 minutes. He's a well-dressed man. Well-dressed, well-spoken. This guy knows the business. You, you just get the feeling... He understands what this company needs to do. And knows how to wear a suit well. Yes. That's important. Second tweet. We've got CNBC. Warren Buffett's wealth soared $37 million a day in 2013. A day. And that works out to $1.5 million per hour. What would you do with $1.5 million an hour? Man, you couldn't do anything with it. What do you mean you couldn't do anything Burn with it. it. <laughs> Burn it. <laughs> Just for fun. <laughs> uh, if you earned $1.5 million in an hour, one $1.5 million in one hour, what's the first thing that you'd go out and buy? A lawyer. <laughs> I said that last time. <laughs> last time I won the lottery, I said I'd buy a lawyer. Now I'm getting a lawyer again, protecting myself. All right. Do we have a, do we have a third tweet? We do have a third tweet. All right, let's see it. This is from Brandon Tomlinson. He says, at TMF Financials, oh, yeah. saw love actually for the first time last Christmas and now it's a holiday staple. The family man, the family man re- remains my fave. Hashtag, I'm so alone. Wow. The family man, I forgot about that. I'm going to have to check. I've never seen that. I'll have to really? check that out. Yeah. Nicolas Cage. Oh, no. Oh, it's actually, no. There's actually some pretty good parts. It's Is it Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage or, or like overacting and making fun of himself? Because I like Nicolas Cage in those roles. Uh, no, he's, he's, being, he's like, trying to be a normal person. Oh, that's painful. Check it out. All it's right. about a Wall Street guy. Love actually, love actually, though, we've gotten so much feedback. The people like it. The it people is. love Love Actually. I know. I had a friend that listens to the show, and he texted me yesterday. He goes, do you really not like Love Actually? You're a heathen. Getting hated on. You are a heathen. <laughs> I think that's it for our show t- for today. We are on Twitter, uh, at TMF Financials. We're actually on Facebook, too. Look us up on Facebook. Like us on Facebook. Motley Fool financial sector. That's how you find us on Facebook. And of course, there's the email address, WTMIFool.com. I'm Matt Copenheffer. This here is David I Hate Love Actually Hansen. Yes. <laughs> we'll see you tomorrow. People on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.